let's, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, it's just great to be here at this church today. Um, and as we talked about in uh, Sunday school, uh, Lord, I just want to be a glove that your hand can be in to, um, to make a difference. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would, would speak through me. And um, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will uh, convict us of truth. And we pray particularly for the man here uh, to be the man of God that you want them to be. Um, and uh, Lord, we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you for inviting me to be here. It's good to be back. And as was mentioned before, my, my sermon is about manhood. In, in, in fact, the title of my sermon is Questioning Your Manhood. And so if you're not a male here today, your question might be, the only question I have is, why should I listen to a sermon about manhood? Um, and it is true that though my sermon is directly, primarily directed to those of, of us who are males, uh, because the purpose of my, tr my sermon is to challenge us to become all uh, to become the man of God that God wants us to be. Um, but if, if you are a woman or a girl here this morning, don't worry. At, at the end of my sermon, there'll be some applications for you. And if you're interested, like he said, I'm, I might come back and, and preach a sermon entitled, How to Be the Woman That God Wants You to Be. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes the following. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. My question for all the guys in this room is basically this. Are you a real man? When you look into the mirror, do you see a man or do you merely see a big old boy? Say, why don't you see a grandpa? Say, you want to know if I'm a man? Check this out. But really, muscles don't make a man. Or you might say, of course I'm a man. I, I've, I've lived moved out of my parents' home many, many years ago, and I take care of myself. But money doesn't make a man. Or he could say, of course I'm a man. I, I, I'm a grandfather. But milestones don't make a man. I've known some young teenagers who are more manly than middle-aged men. Or you could say, of course I'm a man. I fathered several children. But machismo does not make a man either. So if muscles, money, milestones, or machismo does not make a male into a real man, what is it? What makes a male to be a man? In particular, what makes him to be a man of God? Well, the answer can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 13 and 14. And we're going to spend most of our time just looking at 
these two short verses. And here in this, this passage, the Apostle Paul tells the readers to act like men. The word here that's translated in the New American Standard Bible as man is the Greek word ener. It, it means a male in distinction from a female. The Apostle Paul could have used the word anthropos, which means a human being, whether male or female. But the Apostle Paul carefully chose the word ener here because he wanted to describe what, not, he didn't want to describe merely what a human should act like. Instead, he wanted to describe how a true man acted like. In other words, the, the Apostle Paul wanted to describe an, an heir of honor, a man of honor. So what does a real man act like? Well, let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14 to you, where the Apostle Paul writes the following, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. According to this passage, man is, is not defined by muscles, his money, his milestones, or his machismo. Instead, a real man is defined by his morals. And in these verses, we can see two sides of a man. In verse 13, we can see that a real man is strong. But in verse 14, we can see that a real man is gentle. In other words, a real man is both tough and a real man is tender. And it's important for a, a real man to have both of these attributes because if a male has toughness but he doesn't have tenderness, then he's not a real man. Instead, he's either a self-centered brat or, at worst, he's a mean-spirited bully. But it's, it's not good to have it the other way either because if a, if a man or if a male only has tenderness but he doesn't have toughness, then he's just like a, a wimpy boy. So what about you guys? Are you a brat? Are you a bully? Or are you merely a, a wimpy boy? Or are you a real man? So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 14 to help us evaluate just how manly we really are. And somehow I just... Uh, I'm going to have to go to my notes here. It's always a backup. I moved it too far, and then it escaped me. Okay. So first of all, let's take a look at verse 13 to evaluate how tough we really are. The four commands in this verse are all commands that military officers 
would have given. So this verse indicates that the Lord wants us men to be warriors. In other words, he wants us to engage in spiritual warfare. All of these commands are in the present tense. So, for example, the first command is not merely be on the alert. Instead, it should literally be translated as keep on being on the alert. In other words, the Apostle Paul is indicating that these are not merely activities that we can check off once we've done it once. Instead, these are all habits that must characterize our lives continuously from once we become a believer until we pass away. These are all duties that every man is expected to have to fulfill as a lifestyle. And something that a man never retires from doing. So let's take a closer look at each of these four habits that we should develop in our lives if we are going to be the warriors that God wants us to be. The first duty is to be on alert. This is the command that military officers gave to watchmen who kept guard over their camps at night. Paul is telling us, men, that we have a duty to watch out for danger. And we, if we fulfill this duty, we can prevent our loved ones from getting hurt. So what kind of danger should we be on the guard for? What should, we, what should we be watching out for? Certainly we should be watching out for physical danger. For example, those of us who are our fathers should keep an eye out for suspicious characters who might want to uh, hurt our children. And all of us men should, should keep an eye out for the things that might hurt those whom we love. For example, when my daughter Eliza was only two years old, she's now a, a senior in high school, but when she was, when, when she was only a, uh, a two-year-old girl, we were in a, a, a train, and uh, our two seats were facing each other, and all of a sudden, the train lurched forward, and then she just came right out. And with my cat-like instincts, I caught her right before she fell on the ground. Now, if you knew anything about my character or my pace of life, which is rather slow, it had to be God that gave me the ability to just protect her that, that quickly. Um, but I don't think that the Apostle Paul is primarily referring to man being alert to physical danger. Instead, I think the Apostle Paul is primarily concerned that we are alert to spiritual dangers. As 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, it's, it's very easy to be lulled to sleep and, and forget that there is a spiritual battle going on in this world and it's it's easy to forget that the mastermind behind this battle is the devil 
He is determined to do whatever he can to ruin the spiritual lives of those people that you love. So do you see people dropping out of church? Do you see people within the church being overly critical? Do you see people giving in to sin? The man of God does not look at these people as being enemies. The man of God looks at them as being victims. The man of God can, can detect that something sinister is behind all this. The man of God is able to detect the attacks of Satan. Sometimes the attacks are pretty obvious. I've seen people say very vicious things to people who don't deserve it. And my first thought is, man, this is not normal. This person is under the influence of the enemy. I remember back in one of my previous churches, uh, I, I get uh, a, a phone call from uh, a parent, uh, some, some parent, uh, a couple who had a, um, a teenager that was in my youth group. And when I got to that, that home, the teenager was shouting profanity at his parents. And I had to literally get between him and his parents to protect his parents from that young man. Finally, he calmed down, but that was one of the times when it was obvious to me that I was in the midst of a spiritual battle. And I'm thankful to say that now he's, he's already in his 40s, and uh, he has a great relationship with his parents. And, and um, I, the other day, I heard that he calls his parents almost every, every day or at least several times during the week. Uh, but usually the attacks of the, the devil are much more subtle than that. The enemy will use circumstances to make a person bitter. For example, uh, a student is put on academic probation or a couple struggles with infertility, and then they begin to think, well, so God is so unfair, it's not worth serving him. And so they may continue to attend church once in a while, but their love for God grows cold. Or a couple of friends have a misunderstanding. Neither one of them is totally right. Neither one of them is totally wrong. But each of them feels like they've been disrespected. And the friendship slowly deteriorates. And the, de and the tension spreads like yeast until the entire church community is affected. The thing that all of these stories have in common is that each person has become a victim of his own bitterness. They are all prisoners of their own sin and, and they have thrown away the key. Now, a lot of people would look at these victims and think, man, it's, it's unfortunate, but who can, who can blame them for reacting that way? It's just natural. They don't do anything to help. But the real man of God knows that Christians do not need to respond to difficult circumstances with bitterness. And so when he detects the bitterness, he will obey the command found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, where the writer of Hebrews writes this, see to it that no one misses the grace 
of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The real man of God is alert to the seed of bitterness when it is planted. And as a result, he deals with that seed before it grows its sinister roots. Guys, when it comes to spiritual danger, are you alert or are you clueless? Are, are you able to detect that, that seed of, of bitterness in a relationship early enough so that it doesn't sink its sinister roots into the souls of those whom you love? I, I know for myself, I'm, I'm just like this really nice guy. And sometimes I'm too nice. And so there are sometimes that I'll see something and I think like, it's kind of messed up, but I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to get involved. I don't, I don't want to um, get too intrusive. And so I just think, I'll let them figure it out. But by the time it's bad enough that I think I should do something about it, it's, it's like too late because that root of bitterness has just grabbed a hold of those hearts and you, and you, can't, and you can't break it. And so I know that I need to be more aware and be more on guard to what God wants me to do. As men, it is our duty to set a watch over our loved ones so they will not get hurt. So if we're going to develop spiritual toughness in our lives, the first thing we need to do is to be alert. The second thing we need to do, according to verse 13, is that we need to stand firm in the faith. The military commands continue. Paul says that it's not only our duty to be like watchmen who are aware of potential danger, but it is also our duty to be soldiers who stand firm in the midst of the battle. In other words, even if everybody else is turning tail and, and running away from the battle, we need to be entrenched without giving the enemy an inch. As they say in the Coast Guard, you have to go out but you don't have to come back. In other words, we need men who will stand tough when the going gets tough. Now, what is the faith, quote-unquote, the faith that Paul is referring to? The faith refers to what Christians believe about theology and morals. In other words, the apostle Paul is saying that real men will not compromise what they believe when the going gets tough. You see, perseverance is doing what is right even when you don't feel like it. Now, it's, it's easy to be passionate about God when everyone around you is on a spiritual high. I, I remember back in the 90s going to Promise Keepers events where there would be thousands of men who would pack football stadiums to hear men of God 
preach the word of God. Did, did, did any of you guys ever go to a Promise Keeper event? It was, it was an amazing event. That was back in the 90s. And, and everybody seemed so pumped up for God. Everybody seemed to be singing passionately for God with, you know, with the, all their lungs put into it. And that was great. But that's not when it's hard to be passionate for God. In a sense, a situation like that, it's, it's cool to be passionate for God. And events are like that are, are great. Maybe, maybe you've been to retreats or conferences that you can relate more to. But those things should not be ends in themselves. Instead, they should be catalysts to launch us into standing tough when the going gets tough. You see, the true test of manhood is whether you will remain true to God even when nobody around you is passionate for God. For example, what do you, what do, you do when your peers are starting to compromise their, their standards in their relationship with, with women? They seem to be happy and you may feel lonely. Do you, what, do, you do what's right even uh, or do you do what merely feels good? What do you do when your friends begin to start dropping out of church activities? First they might drop out of Sunday school, then they might drop out of small group ministry, and finally even their, Sunday, their worship service attendance becomes infrequent. They seem to have their, their, their excuses. They feel like they have to uh, wake up every, early every other day of the week. And so Sunday is their time when they want to catch up on their sleep. But the funny thing is that they still have, find time to do their recreational activities. The voice inside your head might say, maybe I'm just being too fanatic. If they don't feel like they have to be so active, maybe I don't have to be that active either. But the man of God is going to say, I'm going to remain entrenched. I'm going to stand firm in the faith, even if nobody else does. We, we live in a pretty liberal part of the country. Um, I grew up in Kansas. And as, and as Dorothy said, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. I mean, it might, it might be a little bit less liberal here in Interlake compared to Ithaca. But... I mean, <laughs> okay, maybe quite a bit, okay. But, but you hear, you know, people around you who are, are going to think that if you, that being a, a Christian is just naive and unscholarly, and we'll say the, the Bible's filled with contradictions, or you're going to hear hear people say that, that Jesus may have been a great religious leader, but he certainly was not um, God in the flesh. You can read an uh, article in the paper that, that uh, says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened. And, and, and so it's, it's natural to, to wrestle with, with doubts. But at the end, will you renounce your faith or, or will you stand firm in your faith by seeking out answers to your questions. Are you involved with a band of brothers 
will, who will help you stay entrenched in the faith even when the attacks of the enemy are intense. So if you're going to develop spiritual toughness in our, if, if we are going to develop spiritual toughness in our lives, the first thing we need to do is be alert. The second thing we need to do is stand firm. And the third thing we need to do, according to 1 Corinthians 6.13, is to act like men. Whereas the 1984 NIV says, we need to be man of courage. I think the, um, the new NIV kind of demasculated it just to say be courageous. Um, but that's, like I said before, that's, that's not what the original Greek says. According to the original Greek is that be man of courage. So according to one author, this phrase to, to act like men it was, uh, he said, Aristotle used this phrase to describe the preferred mean between fear and recklessness. It describes serious, measured battle conduct. Whereas perseverance is when we do the right thing even when we don't feel like it, courage is to do the right thing even when it's the scary thing. Guys, we're going to have to face a lot of scary things in our lives. What are you going to do when your friend is drifting away from God? Are you going to f- confront him and, and risk losing your friendship? What are you going to do when the Holy Spirit convicts you that you should talk to your non-Christian neighbor about the Lord? Are you going to witness to that person and risk offending them? For you guys, I'm not sure if there's any guys here who are single, what are you going to do when you're attracted to a godly woman? Are you going to try to win her heart and risk being rejected? I mean, many of us choose the easy way, but the man of God will choose the courageous way. Many of us will be passive boys, but God wants us to be courageous men. So if we are going to develop spiritual toughness in our lives, the first thing we need to do is to be alert. The second thing we need to do is to stand firm. The third thing we need to do is to be men of courage. And the fourth thing we need to do, according to verse Corinthians 16, verse 13, is to be strong. Now, it sounds like the Apostle Paul is saying, stop being a baby. Instead, you know, just suck it up and be a strong man. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying at all. The NASB and almost every English Bible does a lousy job of translating this phrase. You see, in the original Greek, the first three commands in verse 13 are in the active tense but this fourth phrase is in the passive tense so this phrase literally means be strengthened in other words the apostle paul is indicating that none of us men have the strength within ourselves to obey these three commands. Our natural tendency is not to be alert. 
Instead, our natural tendency is to be clueless and just kind of walk around in a haze. (laughs) Our natural tendency is not to stand firm. Our natural tendency, rather, is just to be a bunch of quitters. Our natural tendency is not to be courageous. Instead, our natural tendency is to be cowardly. So Paul is indicating that since we do not have the strength within ourselves to do these tough, manly things, we need to be strengthened by an outside force. So how can we tap into this outside force? Take a look at Ephesians 6 verse 10, where the Apostle Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Both of these Both of these commandments are also in the passive voice. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying that if we want to have the strength to be alert, if we want to have the strength to persevere, if we want to have the strength to be courageous, we must submit ourselves to the Lord so that the Lord can strengthen us. Now this is going to require humility on our part. It's going to require that we become so broken that we cry out to God, give me the power to be alert. Give me the power to stand firm. Give me the power to be courageous because in my own strength, I'm clueless, I'm weak, and I'm cowardly. And it's at this point that the Lord can strengthen us in our weaknesses. In other words, it's going to require that we spend a little bit more time in our prayer life to ask God to strengthen us, to be the man of God that he wants us to be. But um, in order to be a real man, we must not only be tough, but we also need to be tender. Take a look at verse 14 in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The Apostle Paul writes, let all that you do be done in love. Everything done in love. In order to be a real man, everything we do must be done in love. What is love? Some some people think that love is just a, a fuzzy feeling. Some people think of love as, as naturally clicking with somebody. But the, but the word that the Apostle Paul uses for love is, is neither a warm, fuzzy feeling or a natural clicking. And it's a good thing because it's impossible to have a warm, fuzzy feeling for everybody. And it's, it's, it's impossible to naturally click with everybody. Instead, the Apostle Paul uses the Greek word Agape. A biblical meaning for agape could be a self-sacrificial commitment and desire to bring joy into another person's life. So the Apostle Paul is saying that his commitment, that the commitment, this commitment to love must permeate every area of our life. The Apostle Paul is saying that we must not allow anything 
to keep us from fulfilling our duty of love. Or as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, love never gives up, love never loses faith, it's always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Is there anybody in your church community that you stopped loving? When, when a group of, of people have been around each other so long, sooner or later, you're going to become disappointed with each other. When we first are disappointed, we might try to work on the relationship to improve it. But after disappointment builds on disappointment upon disappointment upon disappointment, after a while, it doesn't seem like it's worth working on that relationship anymore. And so we settle for tolerance. We're not openly mean to that person anymore but we're not necessarily very warm-hearted to that person anymore. But the man of God does not give up on love. Everything he does, he doesn't love. He'll continue to love even when everybody else seems really self-centered. He's more concerned about the needs of the other person than he is about his own needs. And I believe that that is the true test of maturity. That's the true test of manhood. That's why the verse is said, that the, the, when Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, I, uh, whatever, I'd be like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's found in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. That is what real maturity is. It's when you love other people, when you're more concerned about the other person than you are yourself. So guys, are you a man of God? Or are you, or are you just an old boy? What do you need to become the man that God wants you to, meet, to be? Do you need to become tougher? Or do you need to become more tender? Do you need to, or do you need to get better in both of those areas? What specifically will you do to become the man of God that God created you to be? Some of you need to be, some of you need to find a godly man who can mentor you. Some of you may need to find, um, some of you may need to mentor a younger man so that he can become a godly man. Um, some of you may need to find a band of brothers who can hold you accountable to fulfill the goals that you want to fulfill in your life. You know, uh, this past year, I've, we finally got a, another pastor in our church. He's the pastor of the Chinese congregation. I'm the pastor of the English congregation. And he and I have made a commitment that we're going to go beyond the superficial. We're not just going to be co-workers. We're going to be, we're going to be brothers. And we're going to set goals. And we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to go beyond the superficial. And our hope is that as pastors, 
that we can set the example for other people and that other people will start to go beyond the superficial to really hold each other accountable, kind of hoping that this type of authentic relationship will trickle down to the rest of the church. Um, some of, I say this to college students, it may not really apply to you guys, but some of these young men, they're spending a lot of time doing battle on the computer screen. I'm saying like, man, you got to get off of your, your desk chair and go out in the battle. Find a battle worth fighting for, whether it's a battle against abortion or if it's a battle against human trafficking or the battle against what, whatever cause that you have. Now, maybe you guys aren't really on computer screen, but maybe we're spending too much time on our little hobbies that really don't make much of a difference in our life. How do we want to approach God when we see the, hand, the, the scars in Jesus' Jesus's hand and say, like, what did you do for me? And I say, like, I played a lot of Scrabble. I um, read the newspaper every day. I made sure about that. But what are you doing to fight the be warriors for Christ, to make a difference, to help out people. Maybe there's some you know, low-income people that just need somebody to, to be a good big brother to them. Um, the Holy Spirit uh, may be just challenging you to um, ask for forgiveness to your, to your wife or to your children because instead of being the strong and gentle leader that God wants you to be, you've either been too mean or you've been too passive. But don't, don't go away from this sermon being complacent in your manliness. Instead, commit to become the man of God who is both tough and tender. And you can be that man of God if you pursue the character qualities of alertness, steadfastness, Courage and love. Now, I'd like to speak to the ladies. You've just heard that a real man should be both tough and tender. So what does that mean to you? First of all, let me talk, um, let me just, let me just tell you to, maybe you can give, I I think, maybe, maybe some of you know some young ladies and uh, they're not married yet. And so I think that it c- could be good that you give some good counsel to them about men. And this is, this is something that I think you should t- talk to them about. Tell them to keep their standards high, but realistic. In other words, tell them when they get into a relationship that they need to ask themselves, is this man both tough and tender? Will he be alert enough to protect me from both physical and spiritual danger? Does he have the perseverance to keep on doing the right thing even when he doesn't feel like it? Will he keep loving me during the dry periods of our relationship? Does he have the courage to do the right thing even if it's a scary thing? And will he sacrificially love me instead of being self-absorbed? Now, some women keep those standards, but for a while, but once they get into their 30s and 40s, they may lower their standards. But it's better to remain single for the rest of their life to be married to a man who is not both tough and tender. 
But on the other hand, sometimes they might have unrealistic expectations. And God's best for that young lady may not be Prince Charming. God's best for that young man might be, or, or God's best for that young woman might be a diamond in the rough. So tell them not to wait for the perfect man because he will never come. But if he is a genuine Christian, a man who truly desires to be both tough and tender, it may be good to give him a chance. Second, ladies, pray for us. It's hard to be a man of God in today's society. It's hard to be both tough and tender. So we do need your prayer. And and thirdly, if you know a man who is both tough and tender, show your appreciation to him. Many of you may have husbands or fathers who are tough and tender. Remember to let him know that you admire him for those qualities. You know, they say that far more, more gifts are given to mothers on Mother's Day than fathers on Father's Day. In fact, the National <laughs> Retail Federation projects that the total spending for Father's Day this year will be $12.5 billion compared with an estimated $19.9 million on Mother's Day. In other words, we spend about 50% more on our moms than on our dads. I know that personally, I would prefer that my daughters put more effort into Mother's Day than Father's Day because my wife is more concerned about Mother's Day than I am about Father's Day. But still, if you have a father or husband who is tough and tender, remember to show him your appreciation. So consider writing him a, a card or giving him a phone call. Perhaps you have a father who neglected you or even was abusive, but you have another person who invested in your life. Perhaps it's an older brother or a coach or a pastor. Think of some way that you could show your appreciation for investing in your life. Or perhaps you have a son who you see, he grew up right. He is tough and tender. It would be good to give that son some appreciation and let him know that you're behind him, that you're praying for him, that you are so grateful for how he turned out. One final thought. The only man I know who is perfectly tough and perfectly tender is Jesus. Sooner or later, every man is going to disappoint you. Jesus is the only man who is worthy of our worship because he's not only 100% man, he's also 100% God. And he came to this earth and he lived the perfect example of a man. That's why if you want to know how to be a man, just ask yourself the question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Jesus was alert to the physical and spiritual dangers that were around him. And he stood firm in his faith in his father and his commitment to the people he came to serve. 
And so he courageously defended them from the attacks of the enemy. And he loved them so much that he died on the cross for their sins. And he died on the cross for your sins. And he died on the cross for my sins. And the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the punishment for our sins so we would not have to. He is the only one who can help us become the man of God that we should be. And I assume that most of you probably grew up in church and have heard the gospel message plenty of times before. But if you want to have a relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ, if you want him to save you from your sins, if you want him to help you to become the man of God that you should be, or the woman of God that you should be. It all starts with a prayer. It's like telling God, I'm sorry for the sins. I know that, it, that my sins condemn me to an eternity without you in hell. But I believe that Jesus was that perfect man, that perfect God who died on the cross for my sins and he rose again to give me eternal life. I want you to come into my life and change me so that I can become the man of God or the woman of God that you want me to be. So come into my life and change me. If, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I encourage you to do that today. Talk to one of your, uh, your leaders of this church. So tough, but tender. Strong, but gentle. That's what Jesus is. And ladies, isn't that what you're looking for in a man? In men, isn't that what you want to be?